Some of the greatest stories of faith come from God's chosen people in the Old Testament. What can we learn from these men and women who were earnestly seeking God? Walk with us as we capture snapshots of faith from the great cloud of witnesses and the lessons we can learn from them today. We are living in a time where technology has increased so rapidly that we can't keep up with it as a culture. And there are things that are happening as a result of technology. As wonderful as technology is, is creating problems in our society, creating problems in our culture. We have, in an increasing manner, experienced as a culture a disconnection from one another. We have seen with the rise of uh, social networks and different ways that people communicate now on their phones or, or through their computers, what we found is that people less and less are actually connect, uh, connecting less face to face. We're unable to, to connect as well together in conversation because we're not used to that. Then came COVID, and COVID locked us down for a couple of years, and now a lot of people are no longer going to work, they're working from home. And all of this has impacted our ability to live as God created us to live. And there's a, a sickness of loneliness that is becoming more and more pervasive in our culture. I was reading, and I've seen this in many different studies, but I read a study recently that's indicative of what they're finding in many studies. And it was a study of young men, and it was done first back in 1990, and they responded to this question. Do you have anybody in your life that you could go to in a time of need, or a time of concern, or a time where you just needed input and perspective from somebody else. Now, it shocked me that only 50% of young men back in 1990 said, I have somebody outside of my family that I can go to, a friend that I can share with, that will stand with me, that will give me perspective, that will, will come and walk alongside me. Now, that surprised me. I thought, that boy, 50% is really low. That's only one out of every two. Recently, they repeated the same study. Here's what they found. Now, when they asked that question of young men, do you have anybody, any friends that you can go to when you're in need? Only 22% of young men said, I have somebody. That's two out of every 10 young men were able to say, I have somebody I can go to when I'm in need. I have somebody I can go to who will stand with me in life. And we wonder why we're struggling as a society and as a culture. We wonder why people are experiencing such a deep sense of loneliness and disconnection. We cannot keep up with what's been happening technologically in our culture, and we've fallen prey to all of the downside of having this technology. And it has become pervasive in churches as well. 
This is not how God created us to live. If you are lonely this morning because you feel disconnected, because you feel alienated from people, because you would say, I don't have anybody I can go to when I'm in need, if you would answer yes to that question, that is not God's design or God's purpose for your life. When God created Adam, he looked at Adam and he said, it is not good for man to live alone. And he created Eve. When Jesus was asked to summarize all the commandments of God, all the commandments of God, he said this, number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God. And he said the second command is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You and I were created to live in relationship. We were created for relationship. It is through relationships that we glorify God in our lives. When I love God as I was created to love him, I am glorifying him and I'm experiencing that deep sense of connection with the God who loves me more than I love myself, with the God who loves me more than anybody in this world has ever loved me. And life, life, real life is possible. But it's not just the vertical, it's the horizontal as well. We are to live in relationship with each other. And I think what's happened for churches, I know what's happened in my life, is that I assume relationships with people in a manner that is modeled for me, not by the word of God, not by Jesus, but is modeled for me by my culture. And we experience a very shallow sense of connection with people because the way that we love one another has been modeled for us by our culture, not by the word of God and not by Jesus. Are you lonely this morning? Do you feel disconnected even in a crowd? That is not God's intention. That is not God's design. This morning we're continuing a series called um, Snapshots. And what we're doing is we're looking at different people of the Old Testament and we're taking a snapshot of their life. Now what I mean by that is we're not looking at all of their life, we're not looking at all that the Bible has to say about them, but we're taking a snapshot of their life and we're just taking a piece and looking at a piece of their life and we're saying, God, what is it that you wanna teach us this morning? And this morning what we are seeing is this. We are going to see modeled for us the kind of relationship and the kind of relationships that God wants us to experience that he created us for. And it is unlike, probably for most of us, any relationship that we have in our life right now, apart possibly from our fam uh, nuclear family. And so friends, we're gonna look at the story of Jonathan and the relationship that he had with David. And we're gonna learn from this experience how it is that God wants us to live in relationship with one another. And it's going to be challenging. When I have heard 
the teachings of Jonathan and his relationship with David over the years, I've almost got the, the sense that they were saying this is a one-off. This is just a unique relationship. But that's not true. That's not true. It's what God wants for you and for me as well. And so I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel 22 and 23. And we're, we're going to be looking at, this morning, Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to see this connection between the example that we see in Jonathan and David and what God says in the New Testament. Now, friends, I also want to say to you this morning, my challenge to you is to hear and learn from this example. Learn in such a way that you will apply what you are seeing and what you are hearing and what you are encountering in the Word of God. This passage from Proverbs has been one that, and it's on the top of your outline this morning, that's in your bulletin, but I, I've always liked, liked this verse. It's been a great reminder to me. There are friends who pretend to be friends. I dare say that there isn't anybody here this morning who's lived life for any length of time who doesn't know that already. There are friends who pretend to be friends. But when the going gets tough, when things are hard, they're not there. And then we read this, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I think that sums up in a great way the relationship of Jonathan and David. Let's look at their relationship together as we allow God to challenge us. Listen to what it says. Jonathan exhibited engaging relationships by loving David as he loved himself. Now, I just shared with you how Jesus summarized the commands of God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and second, love your neighbor as what? As yourself. Now, Jesus would take that deeper later when he said, love one another as I have loved you. Because I'll tell you, there are some people, I don't want me loving, I don't want them loving me the way they love themselves. Because they don't love themselves very well. And so the new standard becomes to love each other as Christ loves us. But Jesus, in summarizing the commandments of God, he said, love one another as you love yourself. That's exactly what we see happen in the relationship of Jonathan and David. Listen to what it says in uh, 1 Samuel 18.1. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. Now, this was a relationship that was not one that you would anticipate. This, these two men becoming such deep, profound friends is not something that we would expect. Jonathan was the son of a king, King Saul. David was the son of a shepherd. David had worked as a shepherd and then became a great warrior. Jonathan had always been a great warrior. Jonathan had the kingdom within his grasp. David was just a young man who was running for his life, chosen by God to be king, but it would take many years before that would happen. 
as Saul refused to relinquish his, the kingdom. And David ran for his life as Saul sought to destroy him. This is not a friendship in terms of status, in terms of position that you would expect. But Jonathan didn't care about status. He didn't care about position. He cared about what God was doing. And Jonathan understood that David had been chosen by God to be the king, not his father. That his father was no longer to be king. And Jonathan reached out to David, as you'll see, and he loved him as himself. He loved him as himself. Listen to what this verse says again. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. What does it mean to be one in spirit with someone? Well, it has to do with having and sharing the same values, having and sharing the same purpose, having and sharing the same perspective and kingdom outlook on the world. You see, both of them loved God. Both of them served God. And that became the common denominator of their relationship. Listen to what we read in Philippians chapter 2, and this is spoken to the church, okay, to all Christians. Therefore, if you have any encouragement with being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. It's the same thing. We are called to that same level of intimacy, of engaging one another. One of our values is engaging relationships, which we define as biblical relationships, not cultural relationships, biblical relationships, connecting on a deep, profound level with one another, living as God intended us to live as we live among one another. David loved, uh, Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. What does that mean? It means that I'm willing to sacrifice what I want for myself to give to somebody else, to that other person, what it is that they need. And as we'll see in a minute, Jonathan sacrificed over and over and over again for the sake of the kingdom of God and for the sake of David. Jonathan sacrificed for David. Jonathan, with humility, said, said to David, David, not me, but you be elevated because this is what God has decided. This is what God has determined. David was loved by Jonathan. Jonathan loved David like he loved himself. I want to ask you right now, is there anybody in your life that you love like you love yourself. See, one of the great barriers of relationships one to another is self-centeredness. We focus so much on ourselves. And I, boy, it's true for me. I find myself doing this a lot. If, if I have an opportunity, I'm thinking, how will this make Don happier? How will this make my life more comfortable? How will this make my life more secure? How will this help me? And I filter everything, it seems like, through the self-centeredness 
This selfishness that becomes a barrier to human relationships. What if instead of doing that, I'm thinking, what, how will this affect you? How will this help you? How will this minister to you? See, that's what it means to love one another as we love ourselves. I think one of the purposes of marriage, one of the purposes of marriage, because in marriage we become one together, is that we would learn in marriage how it is to love another person as we love ourselves, putting their needs ahead of ours, putting their desires ahead of our desires, putting their wants ahead of our wants, their needs ahead of our needs. Now, apparently, that's how we're supposed to live with each other, not just in marriage. I want to ask you this morning, do you have a relationship in your life where somebody loves you as they love themselves? Do you love someone as you love yourself? Are you willing to give up what you want for yourself, to give to somebody else what it is that God wants for them. What would it look like this week if you chose one person and you focused on this? I'm going to love them. I'm going to love them with everything that I have. I'm going to sacrifice for them. I am going to put their wants, needs, and desires where it's appropriate ahead of my own. What would that look like this week? Here's a second thing that I want you to see in their relationship. They entered into a covenant with each other. Jonathan entered into a covenant with David. Well, what is a, what is a covenant? A covenant is just a solemn agreement. It's just a, it's a promise. It's a promise. It's a deep, profound promise. It struck me, we call it a vow. In business, we call it a contract. But a covenant is a relational commitment that we're making one to the other. And when you trace the relationship of David and Jonathan, this isn't the only time they entered into a covenant together. So it seemed that their covenants reflected the circumstances of what they were going through in the moment. They entered into a solemn agreement with one another. And it appears, given the context of each of these, was a time when David was feeling threatened, when David was afraid, particularly of King Saul and Saul's desire to destroy him and to kill him. And so what does he do? These two men, Jonathan and David, enter into a solemn agreement they enter into a solemn promise with each other. And in the context, I would say that it had to do with the promise of Jonathan to be faithful to David. The promise of Jonathan to stand with David in the circumstances where his life is being threatened by Jonathan's own father. That's a sacrifice. It, it, it struck me as I was preparing for this morning that we don't think of normal human relationships like this. I mean, I, in, in the only relationship I know of where people enter together in a vow is a marriage ceremony where we make vows, sacred agreements to each other, solemn agreements with each other that we're going to live together in this way. 
Why do we limit it to marriage? Why are we not entering into a solemn agreement, a covenant with the people that God has placed in our life where he has drawn us together of one heart, of one mind, of one spirit, that we would stand with each other, that we would love each other, that we would listen to each other, that we would serve each other. You talk about the remedy to loneliness. You talk about the remedy to feeling isolated in this world. But friends, it begins with us, each one of us willing to enter into another relationship, another person's life, and to say, let's make a covenant together. I will stand with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I will stand with you. Have you ever had anybody say that to you? I've got a handful of people in my life. We have never entered into a formal covenant, made a solemn agreement together, or a covenant together, but we just live this out. People who I know would give up in a moment to stand with me in my life if I needed them, and vice versa. How can we live in this world without that? But we have to invest. We have to risk. We have to choose the right people. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. See that phrase repeated again. Repeated again. And you're going to see the power of this covenant. We go to the third thing and we see this. Jonathan sacrificed for David. This is one of the most powerful images for me in the Bible. I, this just is amazing to me. Or I should say in the Old Testament. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Okay, in just a moment I'm going to explain why this is so remarkable. But first of all, what I want you to see is how much Jonathan gave up to serve David. David was to be the king, not his father. Saul was no, no longer the king, although he acted like the king, and he continued to live as a king. David was the man that God had appointed to replace Saul, because Saul had been unfaithful to God. And so David was the man that God had chosen. Jonathan understood the purpose, design, and will of God in this, in this decision. And so instead of standing with his own father, Jonathan, although he still loved his father, you see that as well, Jonathan stood with David, where he warned David when, John, when uh, Saul was coming after him. He warned David, hey, my dad knows where you are, get out. One time Saul became so angry at, at Jonathan that he threw a spear at him to, to kill him because he was so angry that he was challenging his father to stand with David and to be faithful to the covenant that he had made with David. But this, this is remarkable. I want you to think about this. Jonathan is the firstborn son of the king of Israel. 
Saul is the king. When Saul dies, who becomes the king? The firstborn son. Jonathan is next in line. He is the one who is to become the king of Israel. With all of its power, with all of its significance, with all of its wealth, with all of its influence, Jonathan is the one who is to become king. And then we read this verse in chapter, uh, chapter 18, verse 4. They're standing together, and what does Jonathan do? He takes off the robe that he was wearing, and he gave it to David. He gave him his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Here's what he's saying. Jonathan, I will never be king. You are the king. Jonathan, I am giving up all of my rights. Here, I'm showing you, you are the king. And you are to be the king of Israel. I will serve you as king. You are the one who will sit on the throne of Israel. I will not. Here's what he was doing. He was promoting David at his own expense. As I reflected on this, I thought of just a couple of people in my life who I felt like were willing to help me and hold me up at their own expense. Do you have people in your life that are more committed to what's happening to you in your life than they are to their own life, who are more committed to what God is doing in your life than even in their own lives, who want so badly for God's will to be done that they are willing to sacrifice the wonderful things that the world has to offer to them. I think that's amazing. I remember going to a conference where there was this really, really famous, famous pastor. He was at the end of his road. He was retiring, and it was a celebration. And he said, he introduced these young men who were all pastors, there were about three of them. And he said this. He said, these men are greater than me. These men are doing work far greater than anything I've ever accomplished. Follow these men. They are great men. I never forgot that moment. I never forgot that moment, the humility of of this man to say this. What was interesting was each of the three men stood up to speak and they all basically said the same thing. We will stand on your shoulders. We will stand on your shoulders. And I thought, what an incredible picture of covenanting together for what is best for the kingdom of God. You know, as I thought about this point, sacrificing for David, I thought about 1 Corinthians 13. And I thought about when it says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is not self-seeking. The great chapter on how we love each other, love is not self-seeking. Love sacrifices for each other. Love gives up what it wants for itself to give to somebody else what they need and what God wants for them. That is love. 
It's sacrificial by nature. And if it's not happening in your marriage, if it's not happening in your home, you go make it happen. If it's not happening in your human relationships, you choose a relationship, you set the tone, you set the pattern, you start making it happen. Listen to what it says in Philippians chapter 2. That make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of the same mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. This is how God calls us to live. And this is a picture of how God calls us to live. This becomes a picture to us of what God has said to us in his word of how we are to live together. And then in Philippians 2, he uses the example of Jesus himself. Read it. It'll change the way that you live in relationship with people. Here's the fourth thing I want you to see, and that is Jonathan lived this out as he found, as he found David at a time when David was at the end of his rope. David was struggling. And Jonathan came and he encouraged him. He encouraged him. Let me tell you what was going on. David was in hiding in Horish. And Saul had killed the priests of Nob. And um, David felt responsible for that because they had befriended him. And Saul came and he killed them and their families. David had just learned of the betrayal of an entire town that he and his 600 men had saved from the Philistines. And then they turned right around and they gave him up and told Saul where they were hiding. David was abandoned by some of the people who were closest to him. And at this time of incredible need, this time of incredible discouragement, this time of incredible loneliness, what happens? What happens? Jonathan seeks David out. Jonathan goes to David because Jonathan knows that David needs him. And he stands with David at a low time in his life. Listen to what we read here. This is such a phenomenal picture. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horish and helped him what? Find strength in God. David was discouraged and he helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Who in this world today is willing to do that? You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. There's another covenant, solemn agreement that they make together in the context of what David is going through. And Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horish. And I gotta believe that David was a completely different man because David, because Jonathan had come to encourage him and to stand with him. Have you ever been, have you ever been in a place like that? You're discouraged, you're depressed. You're anxious. You feel hopeless. And all of a sudden, somebody comes that loves you. 
and they stand with you. They just stand with you. You know what I've found, friends? Often I don't need to say anything. I just need to be present. I've learned over the years that a lot of people are very uncomfortable visiting the sick or visiting somebody who's, who's a loved one who's just died because we don't know what to say. Of course you don't know what to say. Because you're not there to take away their pain. That's disrespectful. You can't do that. But just show up. Just be there. Just be there. Just stand with them. Do you have somebody who would do that for you? Begin to do it for somebody else, and they will begin to do it for you. So how does he encourage him? Let me just say a couple things here. David reminds, and Jonathan reminds David of God's presence. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. David, God has not left you. He has not abandoned you. You are still the king, and I will be number two to you. I will not sit on the throne. You will sit on the throne. And then, I love this, he reminds God of, uh, uh, David of God's promises. Don't be afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel. David, remember, God promised this. It's going to happen. Don't be discouraged. Here's the promise that God has made. David, you're going to be okay. Saul cannot lay a hand on you because God is here and he is protecting you. Sometimes I have people come and just remind me of the promise, some of the promises that God has made. When I did my dad's service a couple weeks ago, a lot of our staff just, I looked up and there they were, all the way in Corona Del Mar. They came just to stand with me. And I can't tell you how empowering that was for me to know that I was not standing alone. We can't take people's pain away from them, but we can stand with them. And then finally, David fulfilled his covenant, his agreement, his love for Jonathan. Jonathan, Saul, and Jonathan's two brothers were killed in battle with the Philistines. And David would now be the rightful king. What was normal in that area of the world is that if a king died and somebody from outside of the king's family became king, that they would destroy all of the king's relatives so that nobody would be left to rise up against the new king. When word came to what we would call a nanny, it was a servant that was taking care of Jonathan's youngest son, she was so afraid that that little boy would be killed that she scooped him up in her arms and she began to run to take him away to hide him. She dropped him and he was left lame in both legs. Word comes to David that Saul and Jonathan and Jonathan's two brothers has, have been killed. And Jonathan orders someone to go and to see if there's anybody left of the family. 
Word comes back that this young boy is still living. Listen to what happens. David comes to this young boy. He says, don't be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. I loved your father. I loved your father. And because I loved your father, I love you. I will restore your land, and you may eat at my table at any time. Friends, the picture of Christian biblical community is dramatically different from what's modeled for us by our world. What is going to shape our relationships? The values of the world or the word of God? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, how it teaches, how it inspires, how it challenges. Lord, I know that for those who are here this morning, for those who are watching in line, that there are people who feel lonely today, who feel disconnected today, who feel disheartened today, and don't have anybody who's standing with them. Father, I pray that you would move us to have a different vision for what community can be. May we learn how to love each other. May we learn how to stand with each other. May we learn how to covenant with one another. May we learn how to be brothers and sisters together. Oh God, challenge us where we need to be challenged. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. We thank you for this remarkable example of Jonathan this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.